Hey everybody, welcome to a new episode of Audio from a Collapsing State. I'm Jerry D.H. Saxton, as always. Uh, I wanted to record this episode as a means of talking through something uh, that I was attempting to write, but occasionally it takes one of these experiments in terms of, of recording some audio, talking it out, uh, getting inside of the thing and getting a little bit messy with it in a way that writing can sometimes play a role, but uh, this is probably the best avenue for this conversation. Uh, I'm going to be talking today about January 6th, the January 6th hearing that is going to take place this Thursday uh, in prime time. And part of the story and part of the situation that our media and our politicians unfortunately always neglect to talk about and maybe even consider, which is part of a larger problem. I am going to go ahead and leave this episode uh, free to even non-subscribers. Uh, I'm doing that because this is a topic that uh, I, I really want uh, to get into and have some people uh, maybe challenge their notions of what this is or what they're about to watch. But I will say that from this point on, uh, these podcasts and uh, a lot of my posts going forward are going to be subscriber only. Uh, if you haven't already, and I got to tell you, I'd really, really appreciate it if you would go and subscribe to the Substack. Um, this is an independent, independent media venture. Uh, this is the main home for my writing. And the reason is... I want to be free to be able to talk about these types of things that uh, a lot of other publishers and publications and these sort of media avenues aren't necessarily willing to go. Um, but it, it would mean a lot to me and it really, really does help and support my work and my writing. So go on over and subscribe. In the meantime, I want to talk about right now the difference between what the presentation on Thursday is likely to be and what the reality of our situation is. There's a massive and definitive gulf between the way that our politicians and our media class are handling January 6th and the larger problem that January 6th represents. First and foremost, I just want to say that January 6th is a really inconvenient event. And the reason I say that is because going into 2021, following the 2020 presidential election, which Donald Trump was, of course, defeated by Joe Biden, there was a, a, a definitive hope that Trump as president and Trump as a political phenomenon, that this was an aberration. That the type of poisonous narcissism, endless cruelty and corruption, uh, these anti-democratic uh, elements of, of not, uh, that he expressed and embodied, that these were more of an expression of, of his own personal characteristics and his own flaws as opposed to a larger problem. 
as I say all the time, uh, Donald Trump was a symptom. He was not the disease. But one of the things that Joe Biden campaigned on was the idea that the sum totality of the problem was Trump. You know, Biden obviously has said a lot of times that he fully expected the Republicans to wake up after Trump lost, that they would have an epiphany, and that they would suddenly start working across the aisle. And of course, we know that's different. But the entirety of the narrative that was served by Biden in totality was the idea that once he came into office, the Republican Party would back away from authoritarianism. It would back away from the more troubling aspects that Trump represented and would come back to political common sense. Let's put it there. That was the message of the campaign. That was the message of the inauguration, the propaganda surrounding it. January 6th, was a problem. Donald Trump had lost in November of 2020. And after the votes had been counted, and after a winner had been declared, the hope was that he would slither away, uh, probably, you know, throwing some shade as he did it, probably talking a lot of trash about Biden and the Democrats, but eventually he would get on the plane and head to Mar-a-Lago. And who knows what happened after that, but the national emergency would be over. January 6th exposed something that in the moment people could not deny was a troubling aspect of this ongoing crisis. Sure, lots of people have stood up after the fact, after January 6th, and said, you know, I don't think it was all that bad. Like, it was problematic, and yeah, they should hold the people accountable, but it wasn't a coup attempt. Even though we all know it was a coup attempt, and all evidence that has emerged since then has only furthered the conviction that this was a coup attempt. Of course it was. And on the right, and among the Republican Party, of course, they went through all kinds of different narratives. They were just tourists. On one hand, you know, there was a honeypot sat, uh, set up by intelligence and law enforcement in order to entrap American patriots. Since January 6th, there has been a relentless attempt to launder what was an absolutely grotesque canary in the coal mine situation. We were told not to believe our eyes, that it wasn't that big of a deal. And now, where we're at, over a year later, is we have a committee that has interviewed many of the principals who are on the ground, has put together a ton of evidence, and is ready to tell us that, yes, this was a coordinated attempt to overthrow the government. Uh, it involves seditious conspiracies, which uh, we've already seen the, the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers charged with. Uh, you know, and they're even going to put the spotlight undoubtedly on Trump, Mark Meadows, all the people around him, Rudy Giuliani, Roger Stone, you name it. The fact that this committee has to do this, the fact that this committee has to make this argument in public 
and is producing it like it's a television show in and 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 in trying to get the attention of the american people and tell them that this event was as bad as people thought that it was that in and of itself is is just absolutely disturbing i think it's a total indictment of our culture and our society that people can't even be bothered to really pay attention to this or really bothered to really care about this like, this is literally a waving your arms, blowing the horns, five alarm fire. This is a problem you have to pay attention to type situation. That's what's happening on Thursday with the presentation of the January 6th committee. The problem in the way that it is being framed, however, is that idea that Donald Trump and his cronies are the problem here. What is going to be presented, and we already have a little bit of a glimpse into this, is that Trump and his associates were basically acting as an organized crime ring that were trying to bring together multiple conspiracies under one umbrella in order to overturn the presidential election of 2020. Now, those things are true. At this point, with the evidence that we have, with the experience that we have, literally everything is telling us that that is exactly what happened on January 6th, that there was a violent coup attempt, an attempt to overthrow the presidential election of 2020. Those things are inarguable. But I was really concerned. There was a uh, article that appeared uh, from Senator Whitehouse or in, in, in Salon. I, I, I was talking about this on the uh, latest episode of the Muckrake podcast. Um, and what White House had said was that, you know, a, a, this committee has been getting to the bottom of this problem, but there's still a very large stone unturned. And that stone is the dark money and the people who donated that dark money in coordinating this attack on democracy. This is something I've been harping on for a very long time. It is no secret to people in the know, to people who follow this stuff, who research this stuff, that there is a cloister of incredibly wealthy, incredibly powerful people who have used the Republican Party, conspiracy theories, and radicalism for years now in order to influence politics, society, and the economic environment. The same people who recruited the people to try and overturn the election of 2020. You have to get all of those people to Washington, D.C. You have to get them ready to the point of radicalization where they're willing to go to Washington, D.C. In many cases, you have to pay for the buses that get them there. You have to pay for people to organize these things. You have to pay for speakers. You have to make sure that all of this stuff is moving in one direction so that when Donald Trump and his criminal associates flip the switch... This thing is ready to go. The same people who funded this, the same people who organized this, are the same people who funded and organized things like the convoy in Canada. They're the same people who gave Trump the money necessary to, to carry out his campaign and his administration. It's the same people who fund all of these think tanks, right-wing, libertarian think tanks and groups 
that are pushing to destroy public education. They're the ones who are writing the laws that the GOP then puts into action in order to disenfranchise people, in order to carry out attacks on rival organizations and rival billionaires and rival millionaires and rival corporations. The fact that White House has already said that this thing, this rock has not been overturned, tells us everything that we need to know. The fact that it was published in Salon instead of the New York Times or the Washington Post tells us everything that we should know. This is an article. This is an op-ed. This is a letter that should end up in some of the biggest publications and markets in the country. The fact that it didn't, and this is absolutely nothing against Salon, except for to say that Salon is not the market for something that is so large. This is something that has been rejected by the journalistic establishment and the media, and the political class for that matter. And why do I say that the political class has neglected to turn up that rock? Because even Democrats are absolutely leaning on the same types of donors across the aisle. They have no interest in getting dark money out of all of this. They have no interest in getting the powerful and the wealthy out. Why? Because those are largely the people who fund their campaigns and fund their political action committees and groups, not to mention think tanks and organizations. What's not going to get addressed, more than likely, in this meeting, is the larger problem at the heart of all of this. If Donald Trump is a symptom and isn't the disease, let's talk about the disease. The problem is that we live in an environment that for decades, going back into the late 70s, early 1980s, has been systematically and aggressively redistributing wealth from the poorest to the wealthiest. I'll say that again. It was a redistribution of wealth, numbering in the trillions from you, me, the people we care about, the people we work with, to some of the wealthiest and most powerful, powerful people in the world. Call it neoliberalism, call it hypercapitalism, whatever you want. In the process of making that project happen, the federal government has been completely depowered. It's been turned into more or less a traffic jam that makes sure that people like Mitch McConnell can keep any bills from passing. Joe Manchin's the exact same. He works as a veto for these people. With all of the excess capital that comes with redistributing trillions of dollars of wealth from the poor to the wealthy, you look around and at some point or another, you got to do something with all of that money. Throughout history, we've seen what happens when you have that excess capital, particularly in democratic societies. The wealthy take their wealth and they buy off politicians if they don't run for office themselves. They also go ahead and construct an environment in which they're the only people who can run for office because they're the only ones who have the money and the connections and, and all of the donor networks ready to go. So we have created a situation where the wealthy have co-opted our government. In the midst of all of this, we have seen unbelievable corruption. I know it. You know it. Everybody knows it. Everybody knows that this is not a government that is designed to represent 
our interest. It's not a government that is meant to represent constituents. It's not a government that is particularly put together to solve any problem that doesn't involve going ahead and throwing money at a war or bailing out corporations. Austerity is the name of the game. We are left to rot and die while they fly above us in their private jets. Or, I don't know, go to space in some of their cases. The problem that we are facing is the fact that our government and more or less our entire society has been completely corrupted by this absolutely grotesque wealth. That's the main problem here. You would not see this coup attempt. And for that matter, you wouldn't see Donald Trump as president of the United States if it wasn't to the liking of these people. They are firmly anti-democratic. They are firmly authoritarian. That's the true nature of who they are when they're not posting these, you know, so-called woke tweets or talking about progressive causes that they care about so much. It's about making sure that everything is completely coordinated to their benefit and to their liking. When it comes to overthrowing the government, these same people were the ones who funded it, who organized it. By going ahead and saying that it was simply Donald Trump and his cronies, your Mark Meadows, your Rudy Giuliani, all of these criminal cronies, what you're also doing is sending a message, which is this. Everything is fundamentally fine. The institutions that we're supposed to rely on, whether it's the Senate, Congress, the presidency, our representatives on the federal, state, regional, and local level, that all of these things, they're fundamentally sound. The foundation's good. It just so happens that a few bad apples cause the problem. This isn't true. In fact, not only is it true, it obscures a horrifying reality that we all need to wake up to, which is what is actually happening as opposed to what is being presented to us. In the midst of all of this, the fact that we have to be entertained by a hearing that exposes even the symptom of the problem that tells us everything that we should know, which is that we live in a society that has been so corrupted by wealth and so corrupted by hypercapitalism that we can't even be bothered to be bothered with things going so wrong that our country might actually be overthrown. In all of this, we have come to a place of atomization of selfishness, of individualism, to the extent that many of us don't want to be bothered with it. And there are plenty of reasons to not want to be bothered with it. You work too hard, you're exhausted, you're spread thin. I get that. And in all of this, I got to keep saying, you have to take care of yourself. You have to, you have to engage in self-care and all of this, otherwise it will ground you down. But for other people, it's the equivalent of driving down the road, seeing a terrible wreck, and then driving on because you expect somebody else to take care of it. 
You've completely forgotten that there's probably somebody who's injured. There's somebody who might be even further injured if more time is lost. But in, in a lot of our minds, it's, we have to go as quickly as possible. How dare this keep me from getting where I need to go as quickly as I need to get there? The idea here, and this is what has taken place in the United States, this is a larger problem in all of it. It's the idea that as an American, our lives should be about our whims, our fantasies, where we're going, what we want to do, what we want to buy. In a way, the structure is set up to say, you don't have to care about other people. You don't have to care about democracy. In fact, they would much rather that you didn't care about democracy. They would much rather that politics to you is either something that you never think about or it's entertainment that you watch on television and you root for the the team that you're a fan of maybe you vote every four years maybe you vote every two years but that's the extent of it right it's like voting for american idol at that point and your favorite singer but that's not what this is for years and years and years the hyper capitalism that redistributed our wealth to the wealthiest people it made a deal with us. And the deal was this. Let us do it. And you'll have things. I mean, sure, those things are going to decline in quality and worth. Eventually, they're going to be manufactured so poorly that they'll break down after almost nothing. And yeah, you know, if you really look at where these things come from, you're going to realize that they were made by slave labor, forced labor, people being paid pennies on the dollar, I mean, there's a lot of morality and ethics that you have to sell off to continue living in this system as the way that it is constructed. And the deal sucks. I'll just say that. The idea of having to put up with authoritarian takeovers and neo-fascism, but guess what? You get Burger King in the deal. That's just not good enough. There's something more here. There's a malaise in this country. We're all frustrated. We're all tired. Some of us are losing hope. Some of us are losing our energy or optimism. I know I get painted with a brush of, you know, being a harbinger of just terrible, awful news. And I'm sorry that that's the case. And so, in, in all of this, I, I feel a moral imperative to sound the alarm because so many people are refusing to do it. I'm still optimistic, but I have to tell you, it has to change with the change of the individual and the change of society. It's, you know, on one hand, I do think that Trump and his criminal cronies should be held responsible for January 6th. If they're not, they'll do it again. And if they're not, somebody else will do it. And they'll succeed. They have to be held responsible. But we also have to change the way that we view this world and what we think is possible. Every day that we put up with this, every day that this gross, planned, intentional inequality continues to churn along, killing people, including people that we love and care about, making sure that their lives are more miserable and shorter, every day that we do that, we're making a deal, which is, you know what, I may not have much, and maybe this society sucks at the core of it, but, you know, to go ahead and chance it on something else, I don't know. That's, that's frightening. Right now, there are two poles in our political spectrum. 
the Republican Party is actually addressing the problem of the moment, this gross inequality and suffering and frustration, the fact that this deal is breaking down, they're only doing it by lying and projecting and misplacing the blame for it. As I've said multiple times, the conspiracy theories that we are drowning in are explanations for why things work the way that they do, only the blame is taken from that hypercapitalism and that redistribution of wealth and neoliberalism because that puts the blame on the wealthy individuals who sign their paychecks and make sure that they live charmed lives. It takes the blame from them and it puts them on their political enemies, including people of color, immigrants, women, queer people, it goes ahead and it convinces a lot of people who are actually suffering that their political rivals are the ones who made it happen instead of the people who made the redistribution of wealth and neoliberalism and authoritarianism possible. So what do they do? They present a fantasy world in which the answer to all of these conspiracy theories, which are all weaponized and intentional, is to go ahead and strike out against their political enemies and to carry out attacks on democracy itself. It legitimizes the violence, the coup attempts, all of it. So they are actually addressing the problem. They're only doing it through lies and through conspiracy theories and misdirection. The sad truth is that right now, the Democratic Party, including people who were sitting on the January 6th committee, their purpose at the moment is to say, you know what, things aren't great right now, but I promise you that our institutions are strong. They're not strong. They're crumbling. This is really dangerous denial of the present situation. It's like knowing that a building will collapse and possibly kill a ton of people and saying, no, nah, I think everything's fine, even though you know full and well it's not fine. This hearing should be a public reckoning. It should be a canary in the coal mine type situation. But instead, it is going to be a political hearing that is going to attempt to go after Trump and his criminal cronies and hopefully nail a couple of them. And listen, they should be nailed and they should suffer consequences for what they've done. But that stone is still left unturned. Dark money, the wealthy, these donors, these packs, you name them. They're the ones who pulled the strings. They're the ones who hid in the shadows as this whole thing played out. And I have to tell you, since January 6th, it's not like they've stopped. They've only grown bolder. They're going after public education. They're going after voting rights. They're going after gay people. They're going after trans people. They're going after women. They're going after people of color. They are solidifying their power as all of this takes place. Chances are they won't even be named on Thursday. That should disturb everybody. That should bother everybody. But more importantly, it should serve as a wake-up call for you and for me and every other citizen of conscience in this country. 
We cannot keep waiting on the market to solve this. We can't keep waiting on Democrats and Republicans of conscience to wake up one day and suddenly push back against this thing. People say all the time, okay, thank you for the diagnosis, what can we do? And here's what I want to say to that. Revolutions and massive apocal changes, they don't just emerge. It's not like one day you look out your window and all of a sudden there's a revolution on. It's not like you look out the window and suddenly a new day has arrived and everything has changed. That's not how any of this works. The only way that these changes happen is that the status quo, the crumbling present moment, is it becomes so unbearable that people begin imagining a different world. They imagine a different way of living. They say, hey, you know what? Having a, having a Burger King every block with their crummy food, all these crummy restaurants and all these shoddy products, they are not enough to turn our backs on not just the future of this country and democracy, the future of the world when you consider climate change, when you consider rising authoritarianism, when you consider the type of crises that we are facing, these things are paltry chips in a negotiation. We have to change the way we look at the world. We have to change the things that we're willing to accept in bartering away our futures and our safeties and our freedoms. What we can do is look this thing in the face. We can understand it. We can educate ourselves about it. And on top of that, we can coalesce together. We can find other people who feel similarly. We can talk about what we feel and what we think and where we're coming from. That's absolutely necessary whenever totalitarianism is closing in. That type of solidarity, there is no negotiation. You have to have it because otherwise reality shifts so quickly that it's almost impossible to keep track of. We have to find others. We have to have conversations. And most importantly, we have to be brave when we are imagining alternative futures and alternative situations. This is not worth it. And what's more, it's going to come tumbling down. You're going to hear a lot on Thursday if you're going to watch these January 6th hearings. You're going to hear a lot about democracy being in danger. And they're not wrong about that. But democracy does not just depend on rounding up Trump and Giuliani and Roger Stone and Steve Bannon and you, you name it, the usual rogues gallery. Democracy actually depends on rolling back this redistribution. It depends on absolutely cleaning out this corruption. It depends on coming to accept that there are alternative and better ways to live. This is a trial of the soul. This is a trial of us having to look 
at this thing in its face, look at ourselves, look at our lives, look at the things that we have sold off and bartered in exchange for this terrible raw deal that was a fraud to begin with. I think we can get there. I don't think we have much of a choice considering what we're facing. But I will tell you that when you tune in on Thursday, it's not a spectator sport. It's not the NBA Finals. It's not something to just watch on television. This is about educating ourselves, finding out information that we haven't already had. But we also need to approach it critically. I want you, while you're watching or listening to this or even reading articles recounting it, I want you to notice what's missing. I want you to think about that rock that hasn't been picked up. I want you to think about the people who are paying for this, who are organizing this, and who are benefiting from this. we got to start lifting rocks. That's just it. We have no choice anymore.